transfer PG on the map for Wales. He's flirted with the wrestler Adrian Street, and he'll make a song about anything. From Wirral, Merseyside, UK, meet and greet Don Woods. So, a very good day and welcome everybody. It's the 5th of April up here in the mountains. It's nice and bright. It's um, very sunny, uh, no wind at all, just a little bit cold if you're in the shade, but otherwise it's really a lovely day. So, without any further ado, we'll go across to Wirral Merseyside and find out whether Don has actually got out of bed yet. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I have. Don't be <laughs> <at> it. <laughs> In fact, I've woke up. To, we've got the traffic light system here now. Uh, this is the latest words to go with our road map uh, with the government and everything. So we've got a we've got a traffic light system and a road map to go with the variants and all the other words. All I need now is a new car to get through this traffic light system and road map. It's really, I don't know, mate. It's it's a it's a, a scream, isn't it? It's weird because there's a delay on the picture. So I hear your voice and then I see the lips starting up. It's like a bad ventriloquist. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, look, the the thing is, I know it's um, not 100,000%, but to be able to use the technology like this, sometimes um, I think we do take far too much for granted. And, you know, I... I really don't like the fact that everything has to be instant. If if we are a couple of seconds delay, then, to be honest with you, I'm thinking you're sitting there on Whirl. I'm halfway up a mountain in Spain. Uh, it's absolutely f- phenomenal when you think of what we can do these days, isn't it? Absolutely. It's like when you, you switch the light on and it comes on. You just take it for granted. It's when it doesn't come on. Then you've got a problem, haven't you? You've got to get someone in to sort out the lights. You take everything for granted, you're right. It's, it's, it's very strange. Yeah, and I mean, in that, I include everything. It's not just the technology. It's the fact that you get up and, and you've got your, your water, you've got your food, you've got your yeah, shelter. Yeah. I mean, there are right. so many people that don't have these things that I think it's nice to start just after Easter by just reflecting on what we do have. And, um, OK, the technology is a nanosecond behind uh, with the picture... Well, so what? We'll have a bit of sense instead, shall we? Yeah, last, a bit of sense. The police have been cleared of using unnecessary force on the bone-headed morons at the Bristol protest gathering. Using footage from their body cams, we get the true story, the true side of the story, not the biased, sensation-seeking garbage reported by the media manure whose only aim is to stir things up. You know, I often wonder what these so-called protesters with their kill-the-bill posters think. Think they, I don't know whether you think they would be without the police. That's what makes me laugh. You know, those responsible for making those posters should be jailed for inciting violence. That's my opinion. It, it, it was disgraceful. And the, and, the press and, and the press and the media are no better you know, they just look at the negative side, but the police have been cleared uh, of it all. Uh, showing on their body cams, they were nice doing the job properly, trying to hold them back. 
it was the idiots that kicked off and the, and the police got, got the, the, the brunt of it all. Well, I, I should imagine, you see, somewhere in the mix, you'll find an academic, somebody who's a bit on the clever side, and what they really were saying, of course, this is what they, 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 they'll tell everybody, is kill the bill going through Parliament. That's what they were really meaning. And it was taken and used by the, uh, the louts at the, um, you, you know, at the protest to mean kill the police. Well, I, I think the trouble is, you see, uh, I think we, we're all beginning to wise up that these people who think they're so clever are not really clever at all. They are out and out either left extremists or communists. And I think personally that the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle, including a lot of the pandemic, has been out and out people who basically don't like the way we live and are trying to change us. Now, I've got to say, Don, there are aspects of the way that we live that I think need to be changed and should have always been under scrutiny. Um, because basically, um, you know, to be able to go down to Benidorm with a family and find that you can get an advert for a live sex show on stage at a family resort, for example, is not right. Uh, when you've got the, the gay parades and you've got people walking around practically naked with, with um, you know, these chains on and all that sort of stuff, I, I, there's, there's having a bit of fun, which is quite legitimate. I, I wouldn't begrudge anybody having a bit of fun. But, of course, you can't really define that because one man's bit of fun is somebody else's uh, nightmare when the kids go home and start trying to copy it. Um, so I do feel that we've got so mixed up and I think probably... All the do-gooders that were possibly liberal in their politics, they don't realise that everybody wants people to have fun. Every, well, I would think most people want people to have fun, but there's always the ones that then take that bit of freedom and make it just impossible for everybody to enjoy it. And as you say, without the police, where would we be? Exactly, exactly. And... Um the trouble is, with all these stupid marches, and see, to us, we're old, as I said, as I keep saying, we're old now. You know, it's a young world. But the media give them the publicity. And what that does is give other people ideas. And then they get publicity. That, that's the trouble. The media should, you know, should just say, well, don't report it because they've got no news then, have they? That's the problem. To me, the media are the problem of a lot of a lot of the things uh, and the, the garbage they print and and there's no comeuppance you know this thing about how awful the police handled that girl throwing it to the ground which they didn't do you know there's no comeuppance for the press they just walk away and then report on something else ruining someone else's lives you know well i don't know if you saw it don last night i was catching uh, something on the news and i think it was new brighton where you had um a, a scrap on the beach, I think it was, with um, or on the promenade, with young people just picking on somebody. And the the trouble is, p people are not now able to rec to recognise that we're policed by consent. You wouldn't think so the way that the politicians have managed to get it, but realistically, if people wanted to turn round 
and not allow ourselves to be policed, it can happen. Because these poor young bobbies especially, um, or as you go older, you're becoming less fit. Uh, you, you know, when you've got about, say, a couple of hundred people and you're the one that's got to try and restore sanity, like from what I saw on this beach yesterday, nobody actually was there to sort out this... Uh, this scrap this poor girl on her own uh, you know and I, I think the problem is people don't think of the police as human beings like you and I just doing the job I think that's the problem I think even well, the, the politicians the, forget that the thing is when you walk along the promenade where the place you're talking about people especially youngsters they walk in a straight line they don't move out the way they've no intention of moving out the way uh, and when I walk up that way, I move up the way, you know, because I certainly don't want to get involved in any uh, fracas at my age. But they don't, and I, I have to say to my mate, you know, I wonder what happens when two of them go towards each other and, and neither of them are going to move out the way, which is obviously what's happening or what's happened here. But like you say, you know, I think the police would, would just say, oh, let them, let them sort it out, you know. Uh, because that that's the, it's a, I feel sorry for the police I really do you know the job they do and the, the respect they get which is nil from from all these jobs you know it, it, that, 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 I don't know what happened I didn't see it on the news but um, you know it, it, it's that that's what it's if you go down there they just walk in a straight line and you know there's no um, actually I'm looking out the window here Vince and it's snowing <laughs> it's snowing. <laughs> I well, believe it. It's Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> well, so don't, don't the, brag about your weather. Yeah. I've got to say, um, yeah, I've, I've, so, yeah that, that's the problem with it all. And but there isn't really an answer because there's a massive difference. People have got to evolve, as I say. They've got to get older, and they'll realise. But I don't know. I don't know what it's coming to. You know, as I say, we've got to. We can now go out to the park. Uh, where we, we can have picnics and leave tons of rubbish behind, which they've just done. You know, this is the level of intelligence we're dealing with. My answer, it really, is to have a loud tannoy system. And I've said this about New Brighton beaches. Well, they should have a tannoy system with a few CCTV cameras and very loud announcements every five minutes. Take your litter home, right? Then after two or three hours, leaving this, you know, these messages going through every ten minutes, it might just get through the solid bone between their ears, uh, and also have close-up film, leaving, you know, of these people leaving the garbage behind, and show them on TV who's doing it. But you can't, you see, that might be racist or sexist or a selection of other ists, not to mention their human rights. You know, and Wales has decided to open its doors to outsiders from next Monday, which will probably create a fresh outbreak of COVID, COVID that much sooner. You see, that there's no real answer to it. And now, apparently this morning, uh, everybody, everybody in the country is going to get through the post, or you can pick it up from your, your doctors, um, a, a test kit. You can test yourself twice a week stick that thing up your nose and down your throat and uh, twice a week so I can't see an awful lot of people doing that you know but th that, that's the latest thing everybody's going to get one of these so we can keep it I mean I admire 
the thought behind it. They're trying their best to keep the whole thing down. But it's it's difficult, you know. It's it, when you look at the news, you think you just despair. To be honest, half the time, you know. Well, well you do, especially when you realise that people are being brainwashed. And in Spain, in particular, we we've uh, we've got people walking around everywhere. You you go, there's masks. Uh, nobody seems to want to break the rule because obviously you don't want to get fined, and yet. There are enough scientists and medical people and uh, virologists and all these people who know what they're talking about. There's an awful lot of them have said the masks are not really uh, doing that much. And in fact, they'll probably promote more people having bad health because they're ingesting their own um, germs. You know, yeah. I think I think the biggest the, the biggest thing I'm learning from what I'm, I'm seeing everywhere is that really you can see quite clearly that if people aren't taught at school and they're going from a, a family where there's no uh, discipline whatsoever and there's no way that the kids want to behave and then they're going through school where people aren't bothering to uh, properly um, de deal with a situation that arises and, you know, uh, people are appropriately punished. I don't mean uh, abused because that word itself means something totally different and that's the trouble what people do they they've been taking words and then getting the media to use them constantly and they then change the word gay would be one very very quick example because uh, the word gay started off totally different to what it became yeah. abused yeah. is another one there's a difference between giving somebody a, a clip around the ear because they deserve it and, and making sure that in the future they know how to behave and abusing a child because obviously nobody wants to abuse a child or anybody. The, the, the whole point is people's values have got mixed up and I think that um, my views have not changed one bit. I, I went, I read the Communist Party manifesto, they said they want to defeat capitalism. How do they do it? They do it by defeating the family. How do you defeat the family? You make problems all f for the children against the grandparents, against the, the parents. If you can't do it with bad behaviour, do it with a COVID thing. I, I just think the whole thing is so contrived now and um, really it's like a pendulum. And we all knew the pendulum would go too far and then we wondered what would happen when it swung back. And this is what I think we're living through. It's the pendulum coming back. But what happens when it starts swinging again? We'll wait and see. And, of course, you're going to tell us now about an area which is so pervasive and it's so nasty at times and it's so, so awful. We're talking about TV. Tell us what you've got for me with that one. <laughs> the standard of TV is becoming a joke. You know, I mean, we're in lockdown, right? Or we're supposed to be in lockdown. So you'd think that's their chance to put decent programmes on TV and advertise good programmes and advertise the BBC and the ITV and their different channels. Oh, no, no. There are some decent programmes, but you have to search for them by skillfully trying to dodge the cookery programmes or ants and death. You know, don't get me going on them. And the talentless Jonathan Ross and Graham Norton with their selection of stars of stage, screen 
and scrappy who they chat to that's all they do chat to about their latest book play or comeback and have to roar laughing at nothing you know graham norton they have to laugh at everything you know let's hear what they're there for let's hear about the book instead of laughing and joking about nothing you know it's as if they must laugh every 10 minutes then we have the multi-millionaire gary lineker sitting with a couple of football pundits discussing a football match we've just watched you know yes oh gary gets millions for his weekly 90 minutes you know well worth my license fee not that i've got anything against gary good luck to him if he can get that but i, I just don't get it you know i don't get it at all well you i know, do not, don not any, sorry I, I do and i'll tell you why i do because back in the 80s Again, when I was at college, because don't forget, I went as an older person, and you see things differently. They were talking about the plug drug. I remember clearly what they were saying back then was there'll be more channels, more programmes, and the, the standard will go down. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing all the time um, people who are brought in now to make up the woke quota. So, you know, if it's if it's not appropriate, it doesn't really matter. If you need a black person or um, a disabled person or a, a female rather than a male, it doesn't matter on your talent. Uh, unfortunately, it's just a question of making sure that the quotas fit the programme. And you can clearly see when certain people are put into a, a position. I mean, uh, football has got to be probably one quick example. You know, the number of people now who basically shouldn't really be commenting on the game um, on various channels is ridiculous. If you don't know what you're talking about, you shouldn't be there. It's as simple as that. And I think the other thing, of course, we're seeing now is that um, be because of the pandemic, there's, there's all sorts of anomalies creeping in so that we're looking at a screen, a screen full of little screens t to make a programme. Oh, that does my head in. That does that. that. And, they're all, and then with ITV, they're all speaking at the same time. Fortunately, we've got rid of... Um, what, what's his name? Uh, Piers Morgan, fortunately. So, uh, you know, it's not too bad. But oh, those, those square things on the screen, it, it, it's rubbish. You can't, you know, give, give, give each one their say. And they're crossing over and backwards and forwards. Oh, it's just dreadful. Well, what, I, uh, find, what I find absolutely... What, what I find absolutely amazing is that if you look at the makeup of the population... And then if you look at the way the adverts are coming over, you can virtually say that there is absolutely no correlation between the makeup of the population and the number of adverts that suddenly have all got black people in them. Now, you know as well as I do, I've got many black friends and I've got many good black role models that I think are fantastic, as well as we have white, Asian anybody i am not into this business of just segregating one particular part of our community but i did start looking and i am watching all the time the numbers of adverts that are predominantly black which yeah. is inordinate yeah. it doesn't correlate to the the population 
And then the other thing that really, really annoyed me during the week is uh, Coronation Street. They had um, two of their programmes during the week. If that wasn't an advert, an advert for trying to join the gay community, nothing is. Because, yeah. quite frankly, again, let's get it into perspective. Everybody will know somebody who is this word gay. It, it doesn't come up that we've got to talk about it all the time. We just accept that that's it. I don't go around talking about me being heterosexual and I don't think you talk about you being heterosexual it's not important unfortunately the problem lies with the people who make the programs now I'll give you one thing that really always has bugged me if you go to the program makers and the producers and the presenters and look at their qualifications very often the reason why somebody gets a TV show is because they're weird or because they're gay. If yeah, you look at the right. number of gay presenters compared with the normal, everyday percentage in the population, there, there again is totally and utterly it's skewed. And that is the part of the problem because the, it's all brainwashing. That's right. You see, I can't stand Alan Carr. Not because he's gay, I just can't stand him. But it's like, as I've always said, a good bloke, a good, nice guy, talented guy, is what he is. That's it. It doesn't matter what colour, creed, what what language he speaks. It doesn't matter. That he's he's a good guy. Similarly, a moron is all is everything else. Same white, black. It doesn't matter. It's nothing to do with the colour. You know, as I said the other week, if you have an island with all good blokes on it, they'd be every race. Because that, in fact, the race and the religion, it's only a small part of what a person is. You know, it's only a sm of most people, it's only a small part. You know, I, I go to the gym and, and there's, there's Asians there and they're great fellas. You know, talk about the cricket, take the mickey out of each other with the cricket, you know, when, when England get battered. And you know things like that, but that's the that's the thing. It's as if, like you say, what what you want is talent, and they get in there because it's gay. Well, you must put a gay on, or we must put a black guy on. You know, which let's as you say, let's look at the if they if they've got the qualifications. That's it. That's what it should be. But it isn't anymore. It, it isn't. You know and. As I say, that the standard is, is is rock bottom on the television. Yet, you know, people do enjoy the likes of Alan Carr. You think he's really funny, you know. Uh, in fact, last night I watched the program and they had, a, I think it was guest uh, millionaire or something, and, and uh, Connolly was on. Not not uh, Brian Connolly. Now there's a talent. You don't see him. That that guy is so talented. A great singer great singer yeah and he's he's, he's a great uh, comedian but you never see him you know and i thought i was i was wondering why don't we see him anymore see and, and the likes of bruce forsyth when he was loads of talent dancing i wasn't a fan dance but he was great dancing played the piano that's talent but what do we have jonathan ross you know i'm gonna get my mark well wave on four day you know it's rubbish. Well, the, the not, other. What does he do? I don't know what he does. What does he do? Well, the other thing, 
the, the other thing that I was going to say was, you know, if, for example, uh, you applied the criteria that they do, when you go to be a teacher or a trading standards officer or whatever profession we yeah. want to discuss, you have to have exams, you have to pass them, and then they look at whether you're a, a, a nice person and this, that and the other, but you've got to have those exams first. Now, if you look at the um, presenters on the, 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 the TV and the radio, uh, the qualification is nothing to do with an academic level. It's all to do with basically how weird you are. And if you're a normal, nice person with no quirky stuff, you're less likely to become a presenter. And I think that, that that's partly the big problem. The other big problem is of course the fact that the media will have an agenda the same as everybody every other part of the uh, the media they have an agenda and so uh, the newspaper editor if he votes one way or the other will have his agenda so with the person who's looking for somebody to present a program if they're batting for one side or the other then that's what they'll choose you know i don't know it doesn't make you mad what's this about chainsaws anyway <laughs> well, not this is not to mention the likes of Danny Dyer taking a chainsaw to the English language. You know, I, I, I can't stand the bloke. I don't watch the soaps. I know he's in EastEnders or something. I don't watch the soaps. I can't. I cannot be bothered watching the soaps. I haven't seen soaps for years and years and years. Anyway, he comes on on this program. He's got the wall. Yeah, you've got to climb the wall. There's two L's there, as far as I know, and he substitutes F for TH and the removal of T from certain words, making him sound like the tosser he is. You know, I think I'll go to a party on Saturday and watch the football. I mean, what is it with this? You know, you see, here, I was discussing this with a pal of mine. You see, here, I'll say, who is it? Which there's a T on the end of there. But if I'm speaking, if I was on the television, I'd say, who is it? You know, I'd use the proper language. But he doesn't. He's on television, and you're listening to this cockney garbage, you know, that he's coming out with. Got up the apples and pears, you know what I mean? I mean, we don't want to... Well, I don't want to listen to that, you know. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's awful. And that's the problem, you see. And another one of my pet hates is canned laughter. I like the Friends series. I do. I think it's very, very well written, and it's supposedly done. But I think it is done in front of a live audience. But also, that they must put canned laughter in because every ten seconds there's a, a burst of, of laughter, a little burst, and it, it's very annoying, you know. But now we have canned football crowds, which is <laughs> totally ridiculous, isn't it? A canned football crowd, and as I say, I know you're a great fan. Of ladies' football, I am. But, you know, at least, at least with the <laughs> with with the canned uh, crowds, at least they've got a bit of noise. Unlike <laughs> unlike they had before before the uh, lockdown. Well, I'm sorry, I'm just not into ladies' football, mate. I'm awful sorry. As you know, a lot of um, a lot of the things that I'm involved with is to do uh, with English teaching because uh, a I'm a qualified teacher and B, because I'm with a lot of different nationalities out on the continent here. And what becomes fairly obvious to me is the fact that a lot of the people on the TV now, 
can't use the English language. Yeah. Um, and I got thinking about this. And one of my reasonings now is that I think that there is a, a plan across the EU, it was, to dilute everybody's language, not just the English, certainly the English. Um, because basically, if you've got enough people who don't speak your language, so people who don't speak enough Spanish, people who don't speak enough French, etc., etc., then eventually it dilutes your language. And we've got many people in Spain take objection to those people that can't speak Spanish properly. Same in France. France are very protective. But the English now are making some sort of a mongrel English, which based around um, a lot of black rappers down in London and people who are probably more from Essex, who don't speak the language properly. I'm not talking about the dialect or maybe the accent that comes from those areas. It's people who don't use the language properly. And I think, quite honestly, that they're allowed to do this because if you just put anybody on the TV, it takes away the standard. It takes away the... I mean, the way that I and yourself and other people were taught how to speak the language, uh, OK, we have an northern interpretation of it, but we were told by, t by people who went and learned and taught us properly. And I think as teaching has become diluted and then the politics comes into the fray, it's diluting our uh, culture, it's diluting our language, and, of course... Um, Again, when I'm listening to the adverts, I can tell you now, probably it's a black voice. Now, that sounds awful because, again, we go back to this race thing. But let me tell anybody who's listening, my own family have suffered with race, which is basically um, there used to be a time when you could see an advert for a boarding house and they were wanting people and they would put no blacks, no Irish, no dogs if, yeah. you, if you don't see the racism in that and you only think it's black, then you obviously don't understand what racism is. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, and the, going back to this business of laughter, the one thing that really drives me potty, maybe it's because when you get older, you get a bit more serious. Every blessed programme, they seem to cackle and talk rubbish and then all burst out laughing and yeah, that's right. cackle away. And you think to yourself, hey, hey, a, it's not funny. Let's go to the um, live at the Apollo. To come out and stand and talk about uh, basic body functions for half an hour, adding the odd swear word in, and see people rolling round when it's patently not funny, means that they must either all be sozzled when they go into the show, or they don't understand that, really, they're being abused by somebody just talking filth at them. And believe me i know what a, a good dirty comedian can do they can be very very funny but that's using wit this is just talking filth and i don't understand it don because you know um we come up from a diet of people whose trade was to work at making people feel happy and make them laugh but doing it without being objectionable um ken dodd's got to be the obvious one that i can think of and, you know, I find the whole thing quite sad now because uh, good comedy, the way that it used to be written, there used to be so many good, 
half-hour series where you could really clearly see the craft of the person that's written the show and the way that they've interpreted it as actors has been brilliant. Dad's Army's got to be a very quick example of that. Something's gone terribly wrong. Is it just accident or is it planned? I'm not sure. Well, I think think the writers... the problem with comedy, the writers have stopped bothering because whatever they write is criticised. Oh, you know, it's racist. You can't say that. You can't. So I think a lot of writers have given up. I mean, the writers for like uh, Morecambe and Wise, the jokes were great. You know, but I think so what's happening is these so-called comedians are writing their own stuff, which is rubbish. You know, they're not capable of writing really good comedy. They come on and just speak about the obvious you know, there's one guy I won't mention who I can't stand, and he fills stadiums, you know. He says, you know, you go in a supermarket and you see a woman come up to you, and, you know, you don't see a woman come up to you, go, and everyone's howling, laughing. It's rubbish, you know. Mind you, as I say, we've been brought up with good comedy, you know, the Ken Dodds and, and all the, the old comedians. But I don't know, I don't know what the answer is, but I think, I think the writers have just given up. You know, I don't think you've got them anymore. Well, I go back. Um, I go back to what I said before. You know, this was in the 80s, so we've come 40 years um, plus, and uh, it was clearly being told that there would be more channels and terribly lower standards. And yeah. unfortunately, because we're older, those that may be listening and probably feel that we've just got grumpy. It's not really about getting grumpy because I think a lot of older people do like a good laugh. Um, By all means, you can have a dirty joke. I don't think that's the problem. It's just that there's a difference between the crafted joke, which the old-style comics used to have, and then somebody just talking for the sake of hearing their own voice about a subject which is intrinsically not very clever. And I think that the difference is that to learn a gag and be able to deliver it properly, you have to know when the punchline is there and when you can deliver it and how to deliver it. Whereas I don't think many of these people do that these days. They seem to just get on a a dirty roll and keep it going. And, okay. I suppose you, you pay your be, money. It can be done, though, see, because you have a programme like Would I Lie to You. Oh, great programme. It's classic. It's classic comedy. Yeah. You know, Lee Mack is so quick and so funny, and, and the other guys on it, it, it it's the perfect comedy programme to me. It, it, and, and the other one, Room 101 is another one. Yeah. Thanks, it's very, very good, very clever. It can be done. But then they have other stuff, which is just dross. Not, you know, it's not good at all. But, so it can be done, but they don't seem to... But having said that, you know, I was watching um, uh, Would I Lie to You? And I was thinking, Keely Hawes looks rather nice. So I looked at the date, and it was 11 years ago. We're watching programmes from 11 years ago that they're putting on now. But, you know, that, that's, that's the thing. It, it can, they, they can have these programmes. And if that's the case, put those old programmes back on. Let's have something that's got a quality to it. It's just the garbage that's on. It's terrible. I suppose, you know, the the difficulty really is we're, we're talking about values and we're talking about what we see as good and what we know is bad. Because if you're older, you've seen the difference. If you're younger... 
you haven't lived the difference. And if you're not listening and watching the gold standard stuff that we listened and learned from, then that's why I think a lot of this now is going downhill because the standard for what I hear certainly seems to have dipped. Um, and I think also when you look at um, criticisms of education, I think you can clearly see that. I mean, I, I read the online newspapers now uh, because obviously that's the way the world went, etc. And do you know what? I can see so many uh, really howling grammatical errors I can almost, I'm sure I must be right when I look at the articles and think that's not an English person that's written that because it's the sort of bad way that we see translations are being made in, in Spanish to English. So, you know, it's, it's the whole thing about standards. It's the whole thing about do we aim for the best or do we not reali really know what the best is anymore? Because, yeah. again, we can really wax lyrical over so many things about people who get awards for nothing. And then later on you find that they've all been either paedophiles or, you know, doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. Yeah, um, you don't right. know where the standard is anymore, do you? Yeah, absolutely right, Vince. OK, well, I know where the standard I sort of started playing the guitar came from, and it was probably from Skiffle. Now, you're going to tell us about the story of Skiffle, aren't you? Yeah, this is... this. Is, it's quite dear to me heart, this, this chap. Uh, I once wrote a, I wrote a song for, it was a while ago for a dear friend of mine who is sadly no longer with us. His name was Skiffle John Lomax. I call him Skiffle. John Lomax, not, no relation to Jackie Lomax of the Undertakers, although they lived close by. He played, John Lomax played in one of the first local skiffle groups called the Atlantics in the 50s. And I saw them on stage in 1958, uh, which was the first time I heard an electric guitar played live, because then I, I was playing the guitar, but only acoustic, and I, you know, I, was, I was learning like everybody else. And I met John many years later, and we became good friends. He, he was a very, very generous fellow, great guy. And uh, he was actually featured in the TV series Days That Shook the World, which was about the fatal water speed record attempted by Donald Campbell, um, of which John had rare cine footage because he was a great cineman. He was an award-winning cinematographer, if you like. And uh, this song was a tribute to him. And because, uh, uh, as I said, I got friendly with him and I said, I'll write you a song about Skiffle as, as a thank you. And I wrote this song for him, The Story of Skiffle. And he sent it to um, at the Skiffle Convention, which is every year in Finland. And they thought it was good, so they, they invited us over. And it got us the gig in Finland. We, we got a skiffle group together and went to Finland and, and played uh, played there. So, you know, it, but he was a great fella. He, he sadly died. He made a lot of um, uh, videos and, and, and DVDs of, of the Cheshire Cats and Mersey Cats and all them, mm -hmm. the old things we do. He, and can he give you, he give you, you know, he was a very, very generous, very, very nice guy and a great friend of mine, a sad loss. And this, this was it, and we actually ended up, we sold his guitar when he died uh, for his wife, we sold it, and then some guy bought it and was made up and sent us a photo of it. It was a Hoffner 
president. <laughs> Just before we play the song, Dom, um, hmm? do you know the name Roger Baskefield? Yeah, I know Roger Baskefield well, yeah. OK, well, Roger sent me a, a clip. It was a TV cutting of when he played with Lonnie Donegan. And again, um, I hadn't realised enough when I started all this uh, business that, you know, we're involved with, um, that the cavern was, of course, primarily it started out as a skiffle and jazz club, didn't it? Yeah, yeah that's right. And uh, this is the cavern where, of course, the Beatles made the name and, and so many people came in as part of the Mersey sound. And uh, Roger had told me about this, and I think sometimes people don't really think that you've taken them seriously so I was really pleased to see the clip because I had believed him um, he's a nice guy as you know he was the manager of the Liverpool cabin when uh, I was working as a DJ there um, but I do remember also when I was at school and we had a lad called Larry Daintree um, went up on the stage at the end of term and so I'd only be about what 12 and he played the guitar with two friends and the uh, the song they played was uh, Travelling Light. Now, uh, or Tom Dooley, one or the other. But, I mean, the thing is, it's only two or three chords, and we thought, this is fantastic. These three guys making music up on the stage. And, of course, again, not knowing that you would and I would become friends, not far away was Wallacey, and, of course... Uh, we had people coming in from Wallasey and they'd always come in a little bit late and their excuse would be, oh, the bridge was up. And, of course, <laughs> people who don't know the area won't know that there are systems of docks between Birkenhead and Wallasey on the, the other side of the River Mersey. And, of course, you know, it was a standing joke, but it is true that if the bridge goes up, you, your road's cut off, so you can't get up the other side and come up to the school. So very, very funny memories, but great memories. And, of course, memories of not me not knowing, you know, that this was very simple music. It was just astounding to see somebody play a guitar. And uh, that was where, really, I got my interest of everything started, you know, just watching that. So you never know, you might have had the same influence on other people. I uh, don't think so. <laughs> All right, Don, well, look. Uh, I if... did it for the money, mate. I did it for the money, not the fame. <laughs> OK. Do us the announcement then, please, in time-honoured tradition. Ladies and gentlemen, I now give you the song I wrote for a dear friend of mine, John Lomax, and it's entitled The Story of Skiffle. <laughs> This is a tribute to the music which in the 1950s formed the humble beginnings of the many beat groups which were to follow. It was to completely alter the path of live music forever. This is the story of Skiffle. That guitar's from the rhythm and the tea chest was the bass and someone sang the words and melody. Some thimbles and a beat-up metal washboard kept the pace When Skiffle carved its name in history We sang of greenback dolls and the mighty cumbling gap And wondered if lost John was ever found 
the last train was to put old San Fernando on the map, while the rest of us were Alabama bound. We sang about a freight train and the great Grand Coulee down, and fought that battle down in New Orleans. We sang about a dustman and about a gambling man, and ate our ham and eggs and pork and beans. While the guitars from the rhythm and a tea chest was the bass, and someone sang the words and melody. Some thimbles and a beat-up metal washboard kept the pace when Skipple carved its name in history. We hoisted up the salty sail on the old John B, or jumped aboard the old Rock Island line. We had to leave Tom Dooley hanging from an old oak tree, and our Dixie darling never looked so fine. A miner offered us a drink, which never seemed to come, as the Wabash cannonball rolled out sight. And everybody wondered if old Lonnie's chewing gum lost its flavor on the bedpost overnight. As a guitar strum the rhythm, and a cheek chest was the bass, and someone sang the words and melody. Some thimbles and a beat-up metal washboard kept the pace when Skipple carved its name in history. We owe so much to you in many ways. That's why we can't forget the golden days. When the guitar strum the rhythm and a chest was the bass and someone sang the words and melody. Some thimbles and a beat-up metal washboard kept the pace when Skibble carved its name in history. When Skibble carved its name in history. When Skibble carved its name in history.